Yeah, I'm ready. Talk Recorded live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Let's Run's Track Talk. This is your host, Let's Run.com co-founder, Robert Johnson. Very excited to be here, folks. We're going to have a great Bank of America, Chicago Marathon, Sunday morning, 8.30 a.m. Eastern. The countdown clock live right now on the Let's Run page. What do we have? How many hours? How many minutes? How many days? We've got one day, 17 hours, 56 minutes, and 57 seconds. Apologize for starting the show three and a half minutes late, but that's because we've got boots on the ground. Let's run staff writer Jonathan Galt is in Chicago. He's just finishes up the press conferences. John, are the press conferences even over yet? Um, is everything yes. done? Is this a good time for the call? Yeah, yeah. They're uh, you know they finished up the press conferences about maybe an hour ago, and now they're sort of uh, setting up the media room because this is where they had the big press conference, and it was. So you're set up as a viewing area, but now they're uh, putting down tables and setting up as a workspace. But yeah, uh, I'm in Chicago, got up early this morning and uh, from Boston, but I'm here now, excited to talk some running. Good, excited, excited to talk some running as well. I've been, as I've been preparing for this call, I'm actually prepared for this track talk. A lot of times I wing it. Um, last couple of hours I've been, you know, printing out the previews that we've written extensively and having things so I can quickly find them because Walden Johnson will not be joining us. So it's just going to be me and you and with no commercial breaks. I mean, folks, one thing I don't think people appreciate about the brilliance of these podcasts is there's no, no commercial breaks. Commercial breaks allow the host to get ready, to get organized or think of brilliant things. We're doing this all on the fly and live, but hopefully we'll do a good job. But um, John, before we get to Chicago, it may, the news may have broke, we have bigger things to talk about. The news may have broken while you were at the press conference. I'm not even sure if you're aware of it. It may not be quite as instrumental to you or me because how old are you? You're about 20, late 20s? John? Hello? Did we lose John? We must have lost John. I don't hear anything. Where did people lose me? Oh, wait, Johnson muted. John, are you back? Sorry, I dropped the call, and then I had to call back in. Um, what Very good. Say, what's uh, things, the big news things, that I missed? Uh, I, the big news, folks, AOL Instant Messenger is going to be shut down on December 15th. I mean, this is groundbreaking. Really not for people my age. I'm 44. You're, like, late 20s. I really think it's people born between, like, 1988 and 78. So people, like, 29 to 39 a huge impact. No, right. Are you kidding me? I was I was on AI. I was on AOL Instant Messenger like every day in middle school. Oh, you were. So I, I, middle school. So you were you, you were advanced. I thought it was only high school people. So what are you? You're about twenty seven, twenty eight. I'm, I'm twenty six. Twenty six. So maybe people like twenty three to about thirty eight. I kind of missed. It. I mean, I kind of got into it a little bit, but uh, anyways, aim is going away, John. December fifteenth. Hopefully, not too devastated by that. Probably more devastated folks. The Red Sox are losing if you're a Red Sox fan. Down already in game two. Anyways, let's talk the marathon. Um, why don't we jump right into what happened today? I mean, I'm assuming that most people who are listening to a live podcast at 3.30 on a Friday afternoon have already read our previews um, and whatnot. So what 
you know, we extensively previewed the race. To me, the things that we haven't talked about, really, the only athletes, you know, what, what we're going to find out today at this press conference is what type of shape are the foreigners in. We didn't get a chance to talk to them as we worked on our previews. And other people, we talked to a lot of the key Americans, but the true Americans we hadn't talked to were the Nike Oregon Project members, Jordan Hesay and Galen Rupp. And obviously, being an American-based website, they are the two biggest stories in Chicago this year. So looking at, um, you know, the tweets and some of the, the YouTube video I just put up on the message board, um, you know, I, I think we should start with them. Do you want to talk women, Jordan Hesay first, or do you want to talk Galen Rupp first, John? Well, just let's start with Rupp. That's what people want to hear about. Um, okay, yeah, uh, you know, sometimes save the best for last, so let's go with Rupp. So Rupp obviously has won three marathons in his career. All three have been fantastic. First place at the Olympic trials, third place in the Olympics, second place in Boston. I mean, nothing to discount there um, on that front. Um, but, you know, the only knock on that is his PR is 209.58. Um, he picked Chicago, which was a surprise to some. I think many, some people thought he would go to, you know, New York, considering Salazar, his coach, made his name there. But did Rupp talk about why he picked Chicago and what his plan? What is his goal for the race on Sunday? Yeah. So, uh, well, the goal is pretty simple. The goal is to win the race. Um, he said, you know, if he runs his fast time, that's a nice cherry on top. But he wants to win. Plain and simple. Uh, as for why he chose Chicago, he said um, the first reason he gave was his dad is from Chicago, and so he would visit Chicago a lot growing up. He had fond memories of the city. But I think the more um, pressing reason was his first three marathons had been on, you know, either hilly courses or, you know, championship-style races. And growing this is still a championship-style race, but this is a – it's a flat course. It's a chance to run fast. And he was saying, you know, his PR right now is just under 210. And if he wants to be contending in the, you know, with the very best in the world um, in the marathon, he has to lower that. And, you know, he's not going to go from 210 to 203 in one go, most likely, but start moving in, in that direction. You know, he wanted to run across the time. And Chicago was the best option of I think between New York and Chicago, that was the best option, clearly, to run faster Chicago. And I think Berlin, he didn't address why he didn't run Berlin in this press conference, but I saw earlier in the week, I think he just knew that that was going to be set up as a world record attempt, and that wasn't something he was ready to take on at the moment. So that's why he sort of passed on that and went for Chicago. Interesting. So it sounded like from, I tried to, to, to you know listen to the interview you did Briefly, then, uh, and I think I listened to – there might be two interviews. I, I saw one. So he's kind of looking for this as a stepping stone, is it, that he's hoping this is a 206, 207 race. I mean, he kind of talked about – I heard him a quote where he's like, you don't go from 29 to 26 minutes in a 10K. you got to go 28, 27. So is he hoping to sort of go somewhere between 210 and 203 in the 206, 207 range? I think 205 or 206 is what he said he'd be happy with. Um, but, you know, I did ask him, I'm like, well, you know – would you be the one to sort of push in the middle of the race if it's going slow? And he, he didn't answer. He basically said, well, I don't want to give away my strategy, but my sense from talking to him is that he is going to allow, he's not going to be the one dictating the race um, in the early stages. If it goes fast, he'll be happy to go with it. But if it doesn't, he's, you know, he's just going to go with the flow and whatever happens, happens. Now, I'm assuming someone asked the you know the ten thousand dollar question. 
how was his buildup? I mean, if you look at it sort of, you know, just at the race, the two races that he won, he, he ran the U.S., he won the U.S. 20K, and then he won, he um, also won the uh, Philadelphia half. So undefeated is the good news. The bad news is he didn't run particularly fast in either race. Now, it was warm in both races, not ideal conditions, but I think it was 62-18 at the, at the Rock and Roll Philly half. Um, you know, that is not a very good time for someone of Rupp's credentials. What did he say about that race, if anything, and what did he say about his buildup for this marathon? Yeah, so the races specifically, he said um, Philly, he just was like, it's really hot. There was just not good conditions for running fast. And he was, you know, he's normally a good heat runner, and he did win the race. But he was saying, just this isn't, uh, it wasn't good to run fast. And so, you know, it, it definitely had an effect on his time. With that said, he also, uh, sorry, and he also said his goal in both of those races, the 20K champs and the Philly half, was to sort of, pick it up with like five or six miles to go and really, you know, race that last five or six miles hard. He wasn't as concerned with going for a fast time from the gun. I think he was fine to just do that, you know, go with whatever pace it was going to be for the first 10 miles or first eight miles and then really, you know, race in the last 10K or so, which is what he's going to have to do uh, in Chicago. As for the build-up itself, uh, Rob said it was definitely the best prepared he's been for a marathon um, because, you know, he talked about Going into the, the Olympic trials and the Olympics, he was still sort of balancing the, t- the track training with the marathon. And then going into Boston, he, he was uh, he was hurt. He had this. He said it was night and day between Boston and Chicago because he had that uh, plantar fasciitis issue. That you know, as, as soon as as close as two weeks before the race, he thought he wasn't going to be able to run Boston. So this time he's been healthy, which has allowed him to train and do everything he wanted to do. Um, and he also mentioned before Rio, he only did, he said only one or two long runs in the eight weeks before Rio, just because he was really focusing on his speed for the, for the 10 K um, in the Olympics. But yeah, so he, he was, you know, he, he was pretty optimistic before Boston, even with the bad train buildup. And, you know, it was rightfully so because he got second, but this was, you know, he definitely thinks this is the best he's ever been prepared. Wow. That's gotta be, I mean, for fans of the U.S. distance running, I mean, Ruff's somewhat of a controversial figure, but people have got to be excited about that. I mean, when – I mean, I you, – John, you've got a better historical knowledge than me off the top of your head. I mean, when is the last time an American-born runner won a, a, a World Marathon major? I mean, it has to predate the, the actually the creation of the World Marathon majors. I mean, how long has it been? Who was the last American-born – Person was it Salazar way back in the day? I mean, I can't even. Well, first of all, Salazar, Salazar was born in Cuba, so he wasn't. Oh, good point. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, but I believe, well, how about this? I mean, John, how about counting, non-African-born American? Yeah, yeah. No, if you're well, Cuba is not in Africa either. But oh, oh sorry. Salazar, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's your point. That's your point. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I get it. Um, yeah, I think it was Greg Meyer in 1983, Boston. Um, I haven't looked at all of the other ones because I know he was also the last one to win Chicago. But that was 82. Um, and then all the, as the, the other international marathons, I don't, I don't know, but I don't think any Americans ever won Tokyo. London, maybe, but I'm not entirely, I don't really know. I, I, I would say Greg Meyer, 83 Boston. Wow. If anyone knows, put it in the chat box or on the message board. Um, so, I mean, that is pretty 
Exciting stuff, folks. You heard it first from from Jonathan Galt right there, folks. Rupp says this is by far his best buildup, and, you know, he's ready to win and hoping to win. Um, you know, and I think if he's in his best shape of his life, he's got a legitimate shot for sure. I mean, he's already been second in Boston. Um, and, and while the quality of the Chicago field, we pointed this out in the previews, is much better now than it was, you know, when it first came out in August when there was only – two guys in the field under 208. Now, if you count Rupp as a medalist, you know, we have a stat on let's run. The only people who have won a world marathon major since 2013 on the men's side are people who either have won a medal at a world's or Olympics or someone who's broken 208. And if you look at that, if you count Zersenay today, say 206 from the Nike sub two event, I think there's nine potential winners, but that's probably less than what was in Boston this spring. Probably pretty similar. Maybe Boston had one or two more. But definitely less than what it would be in the Olympics, I would think. So, you know, it, it, he's certainly got a good shot there. And I think a lot of people want to see a legitimate time. And there was fear that, you know, the weather forecast for Sunday has been iffy. for the, You know, ever since people started looking at it about two weeks out, I've just printed it off, fresh off the printer, the hourly forecast, not looking too bad. So the race time there is 7.30 central, correct? So 7 o'clock projected temperature is 57 8 o'clock 58 so the high on sunday is going to be 77 degrees but in the morning it's still going to be cold it's it's pretty pretty cool it's going to get warming up you know afternoon but 8 a.m 58 9 a.m 61 this race should be over by 10 a.m for rough unless he's having a 230 disaster 65 degrees so it's going to definitely be warming up you know as they're finishing but um they also have a nice tailwind six the wind looks like six miles, six to seven miles per hour out of the south southwest, and that's the, the last two miles of the race will be behind them. They'll have a tailwind because the race goes from south to north over the last two and a half miles. So, did people talk about the conditions today? Did that come up in any interviews with Rupp? Yeah, most um, most people weren't that worried about it. I mean, Rupp knows he's a good warm weather runner, and so he, you know, we asked him about that. I don't think I, I'm trying to think if I asked him about it or not. He, he was fine with it. He's like, whatever the conditions are, I'm going to be fine with it. But he's done his normal hot weather prep just in case. So that's running with, on in treadmills and cranking the heat up inside or, you know, running with extra lead. And Jordan Hussain actually said, um, she, you know, she generally is used to warm temperatures just being a California girl. So when she's in Portland, she says she usually bundles up and has like, you know, a, a head padded vest or a you know woolly hat on even when it's not that cold so she says 50s for the start and you know low 60s at the finish that's not going to bother her at all so they both seem pretty optimistic and everyone else i talked about it no one was no one was really worried about it yeah the um it looks like sorry i've got a little bit my brain was thinking of the next question and i, I guess i want to know where i want to go um, John, I was very impressed. You asked the question that had been hot on the message boards all day. What the heck was Galen Rubb wearing in his last workout? The Nike Oregon Project sent out a tweet earlier this week. Rupp was in a vest. It looked like a high-end sort of, you know, vest that you might wear to coffee somewhere. You asked him about it. Congratulations, John, for asking the questions nobody else would dare to ask. Uh, I thought it was funny. It, it looked like Rupp um, – you know, a uh, little inside scoop, folks. When we go to these events, if I'm there or Weldon's there, we don't bother to ask Rupp because it's very uncomfortable given our past history with, with Rupp and Salazar and 
they're not really fans of the website or Weldon and me. But um, Jonathan Younger, Jonathan just asked the question straight laced. Um, you know, didn't look too uncomfortable. He answered your questions very professionally. Um, but when he asked him about the vest, I was totally surprised. He acted like he didn't he didn't know what you were talking about. I mean, the Nike Origin Project, you know, sent out the sent out the picture. So, am I wrong in saying that he just feigned ignorance and didn't know what he was wearing? Yeah, he he was playing dumb. And one of the, one of the things that actually touches on that is before right before uh that our conversation he was talking to some other uh, reporters and he said i hate social media he was basically just saying he he's never checks it and you know i don't think he saw that tweet from the oregon project he doesn't really like it he says if he has something to say you know he talks to his good friends or his family on the phone regularly he would just say it directly to them so he really he doesn't care for social media at all. And someone was like, yeah, you know, you have 30,000 Twitter followers still. It's like, oh, do I? I don't really know. So, it, but that's a little beside the point because I was asking him, this picture was taken a couple of days ago. Like I described the uniform quite clearly. I think he knew what it meant. And Ricky Sims, his agent was sitting at the table and he sort of, after the interview concluded, Ricky's like, oh, did you mean this little vest? And I'm like, yeah, that's the one I meant. I mean, people wanted to know about it. And he's like, yeah, I, I just think it was a normal running vest. So I don't think there's any, I mean, you know, I don't think there's any big scoop here. I think he was wearing a vest. Galen didn't remember the specifics about it or was pretending not to for I don't really know why, but Ricky said that I don't think it meant anything or it was it was just a normal vest. Very good. Uh, and the other thing that Rob fingers on was um, he said that somehow the, the uh, USAD allegations, you know, the leaked report saying that there might be some doping going on, the, um, the investigation of Alberto Salazar. Um, tell us about that. Someone asked him, was it you, you know, about the report? Uh, and he said he had never even read the report. Is that correct? Correct, yes. So he was asked about the yesterday by Cajal Benahi of Runners World, and he said he'd never read the report. And I find that really odd just because, you know, it was about his livelihood and his career. I'm sure Dathan Ritzenheim read, you know, everything in that report related to Dathan Ritzenheim. So to to have something like that's threatening your career or legitimacy of your career and to just ignore it, I feel like is kind of irresponsible on his part. And one of the journalists I was talking to one and we he sort of speculated, or it was a journalist and an agent, and they were both just saying, there's no way he didn't read that. Like he probably, I'm sure he read it and knew what was going on. So I don't know, but to, what he said to me is he didn't read it because he has, you know, he knows that everything they've been doing is uh, water approved and he doesn't have any worries about that. He said that the truth, you know, will. I don't know if he said the truth will come out, but he's like, I know the truth of what happened and yeah, he didn't feel bad about it at all. So, uh, you know, he, he doesn't have any worries about that. And if he believes he hasn't done anything wrong, then I don't, that was his justification for not reading it. He didn't need to because he knows what he's done and he knows right. he's played by the rules. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll admit, you know, me personally, not as a journalist, it's me personally, I, I definitely have my questions about the group. But actually, I as a, I, I often like to play, you know, take the other side on things. I actually liked his response. He's like, hey, why do I need to read it? I know what I've done. I haven't done anything wrong. So I don't need to read this cowboy, you know, gutter, you know, trash. So that makes sense to me. Also, if I was sort of skirting the gray line, I, I would just request that my coach was doing things. You know, he, Salazar is the one who's supposed to, and he was promising these people that what this creatine stuff was doing was legal. You know, we had the whole Ritzenheim. Ritzenheim wanted to make sure it was legal. 
and he told Richenheim it was it was legal. It may not have been, but you know, it's probably better as an athlete just to assume, hey, they got it checked out. I don't want to know the details. It's easier to operate in that realm. So maybe it's possible, whatever. Um, you know, we ask the questions we need to ask, and that's fine. Let's talk about the people who might be able to beat Rupp. Um, John, maybe when you're not talking, mute it. Sounds like there's a little background noise, and then when you when you come on, unmute it. Um, but um, yeah, there we go. Much better. But um, you know, there's this race is loaded now. I mean, with some nice storylines. Um, not quite as loaded as the London Marathon. You know, that only happens once a year. But we've got the world record holder in the race, Kamado. Uh, we have the Olympic silver medalist and Fiesa Elisa. We have the defending champion, former world champion, Abel Karui. We have the world half marathon record holder, Zersene Tedese. Um, we also have a couple other guys that have, have, have run fast. Stanley Biawat, a 203 guy. Uh, Sisse LeMay, 205-16. Ezekiel Chebi of Kenya, 206. And Bernard Kipiego, also 206. So did you get a chance to talk to any of these African guys that we hadn't talked to since they got to Chicago or their agents? What's the, the, the buzz in the press room about these guys, how their training's going, anything that jumped out, you, out at you on a positive note and also conversely on a negative note? Yeah, so uh, I talked to a bunch of them, and I talked to Renato Canova, who's the coach of Abel Karui, and he said that he thinks Abel's around 90% of where he was at this time last year when he won. Um, and he said that also when he won, he thought he was in about 205 shape or sub-205 shape at the time. So, uh, you know, it's still he's still going to be pretty fit, but uh, maybe not quite where he was last year. But the interesting thing, so Abel used to be training in E10 with Canova, but uh, his main training partner was Jeff- Jeffrey Karui, who won London and – sorry, he won the World Championships in London and he won Boston. Uh, in April, and they worked together. Kuri's sort of from a different area that would come to E10 for workouts every so often. So they worked out together in the spring, but this in the fall they were on different schedules because Kuri was training for the World Champs, and sorry, Jeffrey Kuri was training for the World Champs. Arbel was running Chicago, so instead Canova encouraged him to go to Kaptegat and train with Patrick Fang and Elliot Kipchoge and their group. So that's what he did. And two of the other guys in the race, uh, Bernard Diego and Ezekiel Chevy, they are both uh, were in that camp as well. So there's three of those guys from that camp running the race. And, yeah, from what I can tell, Karui, not, like I said, Canova said he was a little bit behind where he was last year. Um, Kipiego, I think, is always in pretty good shape, but he's always sort of in the podium contention, but has never won a major before. He has won Amsterdam twice. And then Chevy... Um, you know, he only ran about 62, 50 something in his tune-up marathon. Even though this guy has a lot of potential, he's run 59.05 and a half, and he won the like Biwa marathon in uh, in March this year. But he said that you know his speed takes. I talked to his agent as well. It said he, sometimes it takes him a little while to get going, but his speed's coming around. So I think Chibi, I feel pretty. I feel like he could contend uh, on Sunday, and. Um, yeah, maybe not Abel Karui as much. Um, Dan Kimedo, I talked to him. He, uh, yeah. I mean, he's still a big, very he's a big name, obviously world record holder, but hasn't run a good marathon since. I mean, 2015, London 2015 was his last yeah. good marathon, and he said that he's still really confident. You know, I think what happened, his explanation at least, was 
last year. He was supposed to run this race, last fall, I believe, a bit of groin injury. Um, and that knocked him out for about six weeks, and uh, he wasn't able to run the race. And then last spring, he was supposed to run London, no, sorry, Boston, but he fell in training. And it, apparently, according to him and uh, the woman for his management company who was, who was there um, at the table, they said that his training had gone very well before, uh, up until that point. Uh, but then he fell and uh, he hurt his knee. And that took a little while to heal up as well. But they said the last two, three months, he's been healthy and he's still very confident. He's asking him, you know, what do you think would be a good, good time or what's the goal for you? He's like, I think the course record would be okay. So, you know, the course record is 203.45 here in Chicago, which Cometo set in 2013. But, yeah, so he, he still has very big goals. But I think my worry about him, and I think this is something we can't really know until he actually goes out there and runs, is how much, I mean, how much does it hurt just not having that constant, that solid block of training behind him or a solid couple of years? You know, when you have a lot of interruptions in your training, uh, it's really hard to go out and then just put together two, three months of training and, and run a good marathon after that. Now, granted, he is outrageously talented, but I think if he's going to return to like the top form, I think it might take him more than one marathon to do so. Right, but you said he had a good build-up for for London, so you know that's oh, for for Boston this year. But that was he had to cut it short. It wasn't a full build-up. Yeah. Um, so if you're just joining us, uh, we've been. Well, this is the pre-Chicago Marathon Let's Run track version of Let's Run's Track Talk. Uh, we spent the first 20 minutes or so talking almost exclusively about Galen Rupp. He says this is the best build-up he's ever had. If you if you missed that talk, don't worry, folks. You can listen to a replay of this podcast when it's all said and done. Now we're talking about the other men's contenders, and then we'll move on to the women. Um, but the two African, you know, the two African runners that you haven't really mentioned that are expected to be contenders, contenders would be Stanley Biwat and Fiesa Lalisa, who Lalisa, of course, now is based in the U.S., uh, sort of banned from Africa, Ethiopia after his uh, Olympic protest. Did any any information on their status and how they're doing? Um, Lalisa, you know, has run some some you know nice prep races, you know, um, to indicate that. You know, he, he's in, in decent shape. I mean, he was first in the Bogota half in 64.30 on July 30th. And then he ran 61.32 at the Great North Run on September 10th. Uh, but he fell in that race at the start. So that's, you know, he definitely probably would have been under 61 if he hadn't been trampled at the start. So did you talk to either one of those guys today? Uh, I did not, unfortunately. Uh, well, Lisa's English just isn't very good. Um, so I didn't get a chance to go to him. I was talking to some other people and be by the time I had worked my way through some of the agents and other athletes, he had left. So didn't really get any insight. Don't have much to offer on, on them, I'm afraid. There you go, folks. There is reason for Let's Run for Robert Johnson to still work at this company. Oftentimes I go to try to talk to the Africans and nobody else is talking to it. It's amazing. You'll be in these press conferences particularly in Boston, where they do it all in one hour, it's impossible to talk to everybody, but there'll be like a 204 African and no one's talking to them. So I'll run over there, but that's like when John and me are in the same room. Folks, I forgot to buy my plane ticket. Uh, actually, that's not really true. With a baby on the way, I want to save the money. Um, I did, did, did free, I was going to buy a plane ticket when it was like $200, then it went to $400, and I've been spending money on these African pieces. Ethiopian journalists, you know, they're, they're charging $0.46 cents a word. So... Um, can't do it all. So well, I guess it's good to have a little bit of intrigue. Reminds me of, of the marathon, you know, 15, 20 years ago when you did barely even knew the PRs of the people in the field. So 
um, you know, it'll be interesting. You know, if you look at Biwat, um, you know, he, he has not been running well recently. I mean, he was second since second in London in 2016. That was fantastic. But then he was a DNF in the Olympics, DNF in New York. Um, and I don't think he did a spring marathon, right? Um, yeah, and he scratched from London this spring with a hamstring issue. And then he only ran 65-54 for the half in that Bogota race, which Lisa won. So um, it'd be, I would think he's sort of a wild card um, if he's going to get back to his own form. But it's good to hear, you know, if Kar- Karubi is not in quite the shape that he used to be, at least um, Kimeto is talking big. We know Luis is in pretty good shape. And that was one of the things. I mean, if Rupp wins this race, it's going to be epic. But I want to feel like he earned it. I didn't want there to be two or three Africans, all of them are off their game, and Rupp wins it sort of by default because he's the only guy that's in 208 shape. I want him to be in 206 shape at a minimum to have to win this race. And it looks most likely that that'll be the case. It's often hard to know, though, because as I told John, you know, I was texting John as he was on the plane this morning. I was like, you try to get the scoop. And I said, you might want to talk to their agents because – so many of these guys from Africa, you're like, what's your goal for the race? And they look at you stupid, like, to win it, of course, you know. They talk big, even if they're not necessarily in shape. Um, so we've, we've talked a lot about the American, the contenders for the win. But let's talk about some of these other Americans. I mean, you did a great job, John. Fantastic piece on the other Americans, not named Galen Rupp in the men's race. Luke Piscadra, Jeffrey Eggleston, Aaron Braun, Diego Estrada, Bumbleo, Cholenga, Noah Drotti. And Chris Derrick making his debut as his Chilanga. Actually, it's a, deba- it's a debut for Chilanga, Drotty, and Derrick. We'd already talked to them on the phone or via email or whatever in the preview. But did you did you bump into any of them today? Get any more insight on the other Americans not named Galen Rupp? Uh, I, I spoke with a couple of them briefly, uh, but I wasn't, uh, you know, nothing. I don't think I recorded any of the, apart from Chilanga. I guess that's the one guy I can add some insight on because the purpose the reason I spoke to everyone else uh, beforehand was so that I would have time to talk to everyone else in the press conference, because, uh, you know, they only give you, they give you an hour, hour and a half, but, you know, everyone's there pretty much at the same time. So that's why I wanted to get some of the Americans out of the way early, but yeah, Chalanga um, seemed, you know, I think he seemed pretty pleased with how his build up had gone. He said he was doing a lot of miles. He said he got, over 140 uh, a couple times, and he really he felt like he was handling the training, training pretty well, running 140 miles a week. Um, and one of the things I thought was interesting, he's, he knew that there were high expectations for him coming out of college because, you know, he ran 2708, and then he ran 1304, I think, a couple years after that. And he knows that people look at him and expect, you know, something big out of him with those PRs. So he said – for his first marathon, he doesn't really know. He just he just wants to finish, like most people. He he doesn't really know what to expect. Uh, but he was. They were asking him about his brother Joshua, who uh, was a 207 marathoner. And Sam, you know, was saying, "Yeah, I, I think I can be better than he was one day." You know, he's like my PRs are faster at 5k and 10k, so why shouldn't I be a faster marathoner? So I think he's definitely. He's thinking big down the road, but I think for this one, he's trying to be a little, uh, yeah, a little cautious. Yeah, I mean, Chalanga, I mean, those are the people, the young the young fans of the sport may not realize he was basically Galen Rupp before Galen Rupp. I mean, he owned Rupp early in Rupp's college career. Uh, I think uh, Chalanga won, what, two NCAA class titles, was, was fantastic. Then as a pro, really didn't do a whole lot. And then sort of in the last year or two, it's sort of, 
been re- rejuvenated by Scott Simmons' group. Um, and it's interesting to note that in the New Haven 20K, I mean, Chilango was 12 seconds behind Rob. So, you know, I mean, it was a tactical race, but, you know, he, you know, 12 seconds over 20K, you know, and the marathon's only 42.2K. So if he can run within a minute of Rob, he's going to have to be happy with that. And in terms of, you know, American performances, you know, no, uh, on a records eligible course, um, you know, only uh, the a very limited number of Americans, I think it's 12 Americans, have broken 210 in the history of the United States on a record eligible course. Um, it's more, if you look at any conditions, any course, it's 18 Americans have done it. Um, but, you know, if Chuang is saying 207, there's only three Americans that have ever run, ever run under 208. Ryan Hall, Khalid Kanuchi, and Dathan Ridsonheim. So Ryan Hall, 204.58 in Boston, wind aided. He ran a 206.17 in, in, in London. Khalid Kanuchi, of course, was Moroccan born, had the world record for Morocco, and then also got it for America. 205.38 is his American record. And then Ridsonheim, 207.47. So if, if we get a new guy under 208, it's going to be fantastic for Americans you know, chances moving forward for, for, for more medals. Um, yeah, well, I will say Diego Estrada also threw out the 207 number. He said uh, they were asking him about what he wants to do. He wants to be on the 210. I, I mean, I applaud Estrada, who's run 60-51 for the half marathon. So he's a good half marathoner. But he really thinks he can be a great marathoner. And uh, I think he's not, you know, he's not afraid to go for it and try to run that far. So I think he'd like to break 210 on Sunday. And he said, uh, if you put me on Monza, I know I could run 207. So wow. he's uh, not, not lacking the confidence. A lot of talking big, says he can do 207. Um, you know, and, and there you have it, folks. The key, it's weird. If you actually look at the all-time U.S. list, three of the top six fastest in American history are not American board, Kanuchi, Kozlevsky, and Salazar. And, you know, it looks like that can continue. Estrada, of course, was born in Mexico, Chilanga in, 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 uh, in Kenya. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what, what happens on that front. I mean, I, I think that um, it's a really interesting group from from an American fans' perspective because you have Rupp contending for the win, and then you've got all these other Americans that certainly could be certainly under 210, um, and then uh, you know even, even you know others that, that in the 210 to 212 range. Um, so a lot of storylines to to be followed. Um, we actually looking at the chat box, folks. If you have questions, um, put them in the chat box or on the Let's Run forum. Texas Runner Girl, I think she might work for Nike. She said that the Rupp vest is a standard, or actually guest five. It's a standard Aeroflat vest. There's a link to it. You can actually purchase Rupp's vest, folks, right now on the Nike on the on the Nike store. Let's see how much it costs, folks. $180. $180. You can be dressed just like Galen Rupp. Um, if you want to be in on the call, and you, there's a couple people waiting, but I've got them muted. Um, why don't you send me a text, 607-227-3625, 607-227-3625. No, Rick, you give me your phone number, Robert. I'll unmute you. John, that's a, that's a burner phone. Don't worry about it. Uh, no one needs to <laughs> call, harassing me late at night. Anyways, um, so I, I think that's enough for the men right now. Let's move on to the women. And obviously in the women's race, we've got the big two. And – I mean, let's start with the two-time defending champion, Florence Kipagot. She, two-time defending champ, a 219 marathoner. I mean, normally when you, when you have that 
you're the favorite. I mean, what is there not to like about Miss Kipaget? Um, you know, I mean, she, she's fantastic. She's won fantastic in, in Chicago. Um, didn't run great in London, only ninth this, this spring, 226. But the, the, the pace there was so ridiculous in the first half that, you know, I, I think you and I aren't reading too much into that. But she's not the favorite because Chirinus Dababa probably universally regarded, I mean, I think there's some debate, but in my mind, the greatest women's distance runner in history, um, you know, who ran 217.56 in London, didn't even win the race. That was only good for second. But she's run two marathons, 220 in her first, 217 in her second. Um, she's in the field. She has to be considered the favorite. Um, what do they have to say today, John? Yeah, so, uh, I, again, I didn't talk to Kiplinger specifically because she had left by the time I finished wrapping up with some of the other top stars, but I did talk to her coach, Renato Canova, and he had the same thing to say about uh, Kiplinger as he did uh, about Abel Karui. Basically, he thinks he, she's about 90% of the shape that she was at uh, when she won last year. Now, granted, she ran, you know, 221 here, which is a really great time, so uh, 90% of that is still pretty good, but 90%, that's not going to beat Dababa, even if Dababa is, like, you know, 90% of Florence Kiplegaard is not going to be 80% of Tiernash Dababa, and the bad news for Kiplegaard is uh, I talked to Dababa's agent, Mark Wetmore, and he said she's in pretty much the same shape she was in uh, heading into London. That was his opinion. And uh, she mentioned on the dais when they were giving the press conference, but uh, she thought, she was hoping to run a improve our time is the word that came through the translation. And, you know, I don't know exactly what she spoke because her original response was uh, in her native tongue, but you know, when you're talking about running a personal best, which is what it seemed like she was hinting at, that would be like, you know, obviously 217, which would be the third fastest marathon ever. So she definitely, I think she, her camp feels good about her fitness. And I think, if if they do, she's probably going to win this race, no matter what Kiplagat does. Wow. I mean, Dababa, there you heard it from John Galt, in shape, wanting to improve her time. The, um, you know, the, the, the Chicago course record, which, of course, Weldon Johnson has rabbit, 217-something for for uh, Paul Radcliffe back in the day, um, could go down. You know, that would be interesting. You know, and Obviously, I, I think, you know, we, we have the stat that we've come up with a let's run of the potential winners, looking at all of the winners of the World Marathon Major since 2013 when Tokyo joined the fold. Every single woman has broken 224 or won an Olympic medal when they won a major, except for the most recent woman who won in Tokyo, but we're sort of just counting that because she's the training partner of a doper. So, you know, we talked about the potential winners people that have broken 224, there's only three others. Madia Perez of Mexico, 222-59, um, but that's from a long time ago. And then Jordan Hesse, 223 flat. And then Valentin Kipketer, 223.02. Um, when we broke that down sort of on the website, um, you know, I had big reservations about Hesse. Um you know, and, and I sort of wrote that part about Hesse, and I was just going by the stats. I mean, everyone thinks, oh, Jordan ran 223 flat. Of course, she's going to beat that time. And what we did in the women's preview was look at the 13 fastest women in history 
Jordan has said 223 flat. I mean, we got to appreciate as American fans how good that was. She's the 13th best women's debut marathoner in the history of the world. Very impressive. But of the 12 women that have run faster than Hesse, debuted faster than Hesse, only four of them have only have ever beaten their debut time for their careers. Now, some of them are still running. Um, so, you know, like Wurtness Degafa, who is just ahead of Hesse, um, she still hasn't run a second marathon. So, but still, I mean, if even if you look at the men, the top 10 fastest men's debut people in history, only three of them have run faster than their, than their debut. So people say, oh, it takes time to, to get good at the marathon. Not necessarily. I mean, Ruff won the Olympic trials in his first marathon. He got second, third in the Olympics in the second marathon. So people think, oh, the much people, a lot of people, I think the, the casual fan thinks, of course, the say is going to run faster. Personally, I'm not so sure, mainly because I think that race was so good for her. I mean, nothing in her career indicated she would ever run a 223 flat marathon and get top three at a world marathon major until she began her Boston buildup and ran that 67-minute-half marathon. Then you thought, wow, she could definitely break 225, and she did it. But what concerns me now is that was an A++ race. How do you equal that again or top it? And then if you look at her, at her prep races, you know, they haven't been good at all. I mean, she's run over 70 minutes at the Philly half. Um, so, John, what did she say about her training? Did she have any – Excuses for that those the poor times she had in Philly. Yeah, she said uh, she's been doing a lot more. Basically, she's just taken on more in this build-up because what Boston the build-up they were a little cautious about it just because they uh, didn't know how she was going to handle it. I think they wanted her to go into her prep races rested so that she'd be ready to run run well in them and you know, that also would give give it a sort of a mental boost going into Boston to know she's fit. This time around, she kinda knows what it takes to, to get to that level. And so they really they asked a little bit more of how she was running. I think pretty close to the mileage, but I think her long runs were a bit longer and she said about the races themselves, she backed off in the spring before those uh, the half marathons, but she didn't back off for these ones. She went into them you know, off of a heavy week and she hadn't, you know, backed off a long run or anything like that. And she set out to Philly. She ran the race and then did uh, seven more miles, uh, a seven mile tempo after the race, basically continuing the effort. So um, she's like, yeah, you know, I didn't run close fast, but uh, it's because I had a lot more mileage in my legs. But she said overall, she felt this build up went even better than the one it did for Boston. And uh, she, she thinks, she she's uh, hoping for a PR and maybe a maybe a hefty one on Sunday. I mean, the news is getting better and better for the American fans. I mean, both Rupp and Jose say this is the best buildup of their lives. They're clearly contenders. Um, while I think that Rupp, I mean, clearly with his Olympic medal second in Boston, is a better marathoner even on a you know than, than Jordan Jose sort of in terms of performances, I think Hesse has a much better chance of winning, only because women's running is nearly as deep as men's. I mean, Hesse already is the 88th fastest woman in history. I mean, that's sort of the equivalent of a 206 low uh, person on the men's race. And by the way, no non-African born runner has ever broken 206. So if Rupp ever does that in his career, particularly if he does it on Sunday, it's quite an accomplishment. Ronaldo de Costa, I think it's 206.05. 
It's the fastest by a non-African. The Japanese record and the American record are almost identical. It's like 206.15 and 206.17. Not American record. American-born record for Ryan Hall on our standard record-eligible course. So, you know, th- those are, are the things to think about. But it's just not as deep. So on, on, on the women's race, I mean, if, if, if Dubaba and Kippa got fall or something, then it's sort of wide open. Like, who, who's going to win? And, you know, I, I sort of, I, I sort of discounted Valid- Valentine Kipketer in the women's preview a little bit. And, and, um, and to me, one person who would not meet our criteria of having a sub-224 person, but if you're looking for a long shot, shot pick, and I tried to find betting odds, I've got an online account at Bovada, I cannot find betting odds in the Chicago Marathon. Um, so maybe you can't place a bet. But if, if you were, maybe I would think Bridget Kosgate of Kenya, 23 years old, She's got a 224 PR, 224.45 PR, but she's been fantastic in her buildup. 72.16 at like 8,000 feet to win in Bogota over a stacked field. I mean, the people in that field that she beat are, are, are quite good. Mary Wasera was fourth. She's been third at the last two half marathon champs. Um, you know, she beat the Houston Marathon half marathon champ. Uh, Veronica Nerui was fourth at the, at the Kenya World, World Champ Trials in the 10,000. So very impressive. And then she ran a 66.35 at the Copenhagen half. So that's significantly faster than Jordan Hesse's ever run for half marathon. So Bridget Koskai is, is a long shot name sort of to be looking out for. Um, and really, in terms of the women's race, th- there's no one beside to say in terms of big names. I mean, but you've got a couple of women that are probably hoping to break 230. Becky Wade, 230.41. Dot McMahon, 231.48. Because – you know, 2.30, people are always trying to equate sort of men's and women's running. Um, you know, like a lot of women are like, why don't we have a, the equivalent of a four-minute mile? Well, it's just the way it works. There isn't an equivalent of a four-minute mile. Um, you know, it's just, it's just, I don't know, it's kind of unfair, I guess. But um, in terms of, of, you know, women's running, um, there's been 42 Americans that have broken 2.30 on any course. Um, so, you know, that, that would certainly be an accomplishment, but there's definitely fewer men under 210 than there are. There's more women under 230 than there are men under um, 210 on that front. But, John, any other tidbits that you got from any of the leading ladies or agents, anything that you want to share that, that sort of people wouldn't have already read? If, I'm sure, of course, people have read all of the previews that we've mm-hmm. written. Yeah, I think I, I think that's about the main one I talked to say. I talked to Brid, Bridget Koskay. She basically said the yeah, interesting fact, fact about Bridget Koskay, apart from Boston this year, she either won or PR'd in all of her career races um, on her All Athletics database. And she said the reason why she didn't run well in Boston is that she had a knee injury uh, before the race and didn't run well there. So she said that she's healthy now. Now in my experience, no athlete has ever been willing to reveal, oh, yeah, I'm actually hurt going into this marathon. Uh, th- those excuses always trickle out afterwards. So, uh, you know, who's, who's to say who's hurt and who's not going into this race? But um, she seemed pretty uh, pretty confident that she could do well. Granted, uh, again, like I said, Debob is like a, a dragon in this race. You know, you need to find a, some sort of dragon slayer or hero to take it down because she's really got just a, such a massive advantage.
Robert, are you still there? Sorry, I, I muted myself by mistake. Uh, so if you're just joining us, this is Let's Run's pre-2017 uh, Bank of America Chicago Marathon edition of Track Talk. Um, we started out the talk by call by talking Galen Rupp. And the good news is, if you're just joining us, Rupp says this is the best build-up of his life. He's picked Chicago. His dad's from Chicago. He wanted to go on there. He's got fond memories of the area. But also, he wants to run fast. And, you know, Berlin world record might be too much, 203. You know, but if he could chew off something in the 205, 206, 207 range, you know, it sounds like Rupp's not even scared to talk about ultimately being in a 202, 203 race, which he shouldn't be, I guess, because he's run 2644 for 10,000. He's the 15th or 14th fastest man in history on the Oval. So, you know, he, he wants to take a little bit by a little bit. A little bit. Um, and very exciting that he thinks he's in fantastic shape, despite, you know, even though his times in Philadelphia weren't great. And then we, t- we broke down the other man. Dennis Cometo is talking big, talking about big, breaking his time from Chicago. He's the course record holder. So that's good. The scoop on Albert Curry, maybe not quite in the same shape he was in last year, but about 90%. So it should certainly be a compelling race. And then we moved on to the women to talk about Jordan to say, Zebe Dababa. Dababa talks about improving her PR. So it is going to be a barn burner of a race on Sunday, starting at 8.30 Eastern, 7.30 local time. Weather is not going to be too bad, as we said. 58, 57, 58 at the start, maybe when when, when Rupp's in them finish, probably about 63, closer to 64, 65 when the women finish. Um, John, what am I missing? What else do we need to talk about? I'm sure there's things. We still we're going to go for an hour. We've got about five or six minutes left. Any callers? Any questions that you have? Please post, put them in the chat box. By the way, John, people are demanding that uh, you prove that you actually are boots on the ground. They want a GPS timestamp, some sort of location to prove. Did they not see the, the Did they not see the pictures I was tweeting out from the Let's Run account from the press conference? That's your proof right there. Yes, yeah, so we do have boots to the ground. There's actually, I guess, there's no proof that it's Jonathan Galt, but if you actually hear him talking to Rupp, you realize that it's his voice talking to Rupp. That's a good point. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. How about the videos? That's right. Yeah. Well, I, I did see a computer. They, they've now got computers that can fake like a president's voice with AI. It's kind of scary. Like maybe 20, 30 years, they'll just make you know, they can make up a tape to derail your career, like Jonathan Galt's sex tape, or something like that. But. Um, yeah. I, 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 what are we missing, John? I think we covered pretty much all of it, Robert. I mean, talked about the two elite races. Uh, we talked about, I gave you, I think I gave you everything worthwhile I got at least. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll have an article up in a little bit about uh, everything I learned, but try to give you guys the good stuff because uh, we reward the listeners who, who tune in and listen live. Uh, yeah, I think it's just people are, you know, pretty excited and ready to go for, the, for this marathon. You know, it's it's my first time out here for the Chicago Marathon, and uh, I think it's one of the best best ones we've had recently. I'd say the best one since 2014 when uh, Kipchoge and Bekele squared off here. So, yeah, it should be pretty exciting. Definitely. That's why we're sitting out there. I mean, there's certainly a buzz about it. Um, you know, and, and I think that the big thing, the, the, the potential damper was the weather, but um, you know this, it's going to be sunny, which, which will make it feel hotter. You know, I, I definitely think that 61 in, in, in the sunny 61 is, is going to feel 
a lot warmer than even a shady 68, but, um, yeah, it's better than what I thought it was going to be three or four days ago. So, so that's encouraging. Um, and you know, it's really interesting to see what happens down the road with Rupp and both Hesse and even like, what can Chris Derrick do? And, and, um, I mean, Shalanga, you know, 207, it's right. His brother, I mean, 207 for an American sounds crazy, but he won't even necessarily be the best guy in his own family. So, um, you know, I, I think excellence breeds other excellence, and that's part of the Oregon Project. And, you know, one of the things that my brother Weldon Johnson really admires about the Oregon Project is, you know, they don't go to these races hoping to get sixth and do okay. They go to these races dreaming of winning and preparing, doing everything they can to prepare there. So, you know, Rupp ultimately wants to be a world marathon major winner, an Olympic gold medalist winner, I'm sure, in the marathon. Um, but as journalists, we have to present both sides of it. And the fact of the matter is the ceiling for an American-born runner without a tailwind, well, I mean, a non-African-born runner, is over 206. So that's why I said, look, even if Rupp becomes a 205 guy and is finishing third or fourth, what he's accomplished would still be monumental. And when people talk about the greatest marathoners, John, what do you think about this? I tell people, American-born greatest marathoner, uh, uh, Frank Shorter obviously is the most accomplished, if you race Ryan Hall versus Frank Shorter, I think Ryan Hall wins. You think I'm crazy? No, I don't think you're crazy. Uh, I mean, what was Frank Shorter's PR? Wasn't anyone close to 206.17? I'm pretty sure of that. So, uh, but it's hard to tell. I mean, you put them in a championship race. I mean, Frank Shorter was, he had one Olympic gold medal and sh- really should have a second because of uh, an East German Dopa. So you put them in a championship race. I don't know. Yeah. Short has got a lot of know-how, and I feel yeah. like it's, you know, can't discount him. But head-to-head, I mean, I don't think Shorter could have ever run 206. Yeah, Shorter's PR is 210.30. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he was pretty fast. He was a 27.45 guy on the track. So definitely not – I mean, that's one of the things that always sort of – I like the stats to govern me when I look at running. And the marathoning has just improved so much in the last 10 or 15 years, you know, 203, 202, 204. But, you know, what surprises me sometimes is, you know, particularly in these tactical races when there's no rabbits, you know, you look at the times that the, that the you know, uh, Salazar's were running in Boston and, and you know, in, in the late 70s, early 80s, and they would still be competitive today. So I, I don't doubt that these guys would figure out a way to run faster. It just, you know, wasn't as important back then. It was about winning and not necessarily running a fast time. So, John, thanks for being the boots on the ground this weekend. Enjoy um, maybe a day off tomorrow, relax, see some sights. I don't know. Are the Cubs playing there? Maybe, maybe catch a Cubs game? No, they, I checked it out. They have uh, road games that we this weekend, so they're, uh, they're not at home until Monday. John, here's an inside tip from when I'm in Chicago. Um, I think last year you can go find a White Sox bar, and, like, for every time whoever the Cubs are, so the Cubs are playing the Nationals, like, Every time the Nationals score, the, the price of the beers drop because these people, it's such a big rivalry that they, they want the Cubs to lose. So if they get behind, the beer prices drop. It's, it's very interesting, actually. So oh, boy, I got to seek out a White Sox bar. Yeah. That. John, you, you need well, to tonight. Uh, they play tonight. Well, p- please finish your Let's Run uh, recap of the press conferences. Um, we've got a lot of it, but maybe show the, the top tidbits. I know you're going to be downing your Red Sox sorrows, folks. Update. Red Sox, actually, John, you said it was. Four to nothing, right? It's not four to one. No, it was four to one. one. It was four. Oh, it wasn't four to one. Oh. But we got out of oh. a bases loaded jam. It could have been more. 
but it's been worked, so not not too bad. Um, so exciting stuff, folks. Thanks for joining us. Um, for Jonathan Galt, this is Let's Run co-founder Robert Johnson signing off, encouraging everyone to come back on race day on Sunday morning, participate in the Let's Run live thread. The best way to follow a marathon is to turn it on TV and then read the live thread because we'll be John will be providing insight from the press room. Oftentimes they have special splits in the press room. But you'll have the analysis, not just from us, but from your fellow fans, the true diehards. And you'll often get more info, honestly, from the thread than you will from the commentators. So it should be an exciting day. Sunday morning, 8.30 a.m. Eastern. Come on back. But uh, for Jonathan Galt, this is Robert Johnson. Thank you for joining us. And have a good weekend, everybody.